I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Good morning, Prakapitan. Happy to have you back. Today, I've been asked to talk about forgiveness in Stoicism, and so that's what I'll be discussing today. Before that, though, some thank yous to new patrons. Thank you to Dan Braun, or Dan Bran, sorry, Dan, Jenny K, and Jay. Thank you to the three of you. You help make this podcast my full-time focus, and I'm grateful. If you're thinking about becoming a patron yourself and haven't yet, you can go to stoicismpod.com forward slash members to sign up. You'll get access to an ad-free version of the podcast, which you can listen to in whatever app you already use to listen to this podcast, even Spotify, and also monthly articles, exclusive discussions with special guests, and access to a private Discord community where you can chat with other patrons and get to know them. Again, that's at stoicismpod.com forward slash members. Forgiveness. Gosh. I'm actually right in the middle of trying to forgive someone right now, and to be honest, in being so, I've remembered how long it took me to forgive the only other person that I've ever been grudge-holdingly upset with, and that person was my mother. I'll start today, I think, by telling that story, and then I'll admit to the embarrassing number of years it took me to move past everything you'll hear in that story. My parents divorced following my father's bankruptcy in the very early 90s. I was probably around 10. I don't remember everything, but I remember the big stuff. I remember the custody battle. I remember visitation rights and visiting counselors. I remember the introduction of new people that filled the step-parent roles. And I don't remember being very bothered by any of that. Not for the most part, anyway. But there was one thing one thing that really did bother me. And in order to understand it, I have to give you a little bit of background. My mother bailed on probably 90 to 95% of her scheduled visitation weekends. If you've been through divorce, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, it's common that there's a shared or joint custody between parents with one getting primary custody and the other getting visitation rights. And those visitations can be once a month or once every other week or something like this, or only on the summer vacation or something like that. But for us, 
we were supposed to see our mother every other weekend, but we only wound up seeing her about once every two or three months. She just wouldn't show up. There was always some excuse, a meeting, working weekends, poorly planned vacations that unfortunately overlapped with visitation days, that sort of thing. But more than there were excuses, there were instances of, I'm on my way now, be there any minute. And then she'd just never show up and never explain why she never showed up. That was pretty crappy. But even those things, they didn't bother me that much. I always felt happy to see my mom when she came through. And when she didn't, I don't know. It was like I'd found some sort of mental trick to not see it as a slight. It genuinely didn't bother me that much. And there were weekends where mom did show up and we did fun things together, me and my sisters. But one weekend, she only took my sisters with her. So it was rare that she showed up and it was even rarer that she only took my sisters and not me. She said it was a mother-daughter weekend and that we'd have a mother-son weekend next time. And that sounded honestly, exciting. That's great. It never happened before. So when my weekend came around, I was sitting with my little blue plasticky duffel bag waiting for my mom to pick me up. I waited by the window over the back of the couch. I waited outside the front door, anxious energy all around me, pacing, making excuses for why she wasn't early, then why she wasn't on time, then why she was now one, two, three hours late. I don't exactly remember how it dawned on me that I'd been forgotten or overlooked or deprioritized for something else, but I do remember that she never came and we never had that mother-son weekend. And this is a story that until a few years ago, I wasn't even able to tell without tears welling up in my eyes. It was very personal to me for a very long time. So for decades after that, my relationship with my mother was strained. But it was also distant because something my mother did not too many years after the divorce was leave Florida, which was the state where we all lived at the time. And she went to go and live with my now stepfather in New York. In the last 25 years, it is probably true that I've seen my mother fewer than 10 times. The last time I saw her was in 2021 when I was relocating from Maine to Colorado after losing my studio business as a result of COVID. My partner at the time and I stopped for the night. We had driven to have dinner and say hello, and then we were going to leave the next morning. It was the first time that girlfriend had met my mother, and we had been together for 13 years at that point. And I have not seen my mother since that dinner. Somewhere along the line, I forgave her, but I don't know exactly how I did that. I just know that we talk on Christmas now and Thanksgiving, and I send her a happy Mother's Day text on Mother's Day, and she sends me a birthday text and a gift on my birthday. And in fact, for Christmas, just last year, she gave me $1,000, which was insane. And I spent it on things for the baby, and I viewed that as a very kind thing for my mother to do. I was really grateful. I want to be careful here not to make it sound like I don't have a lot of good memories with my mother. I do. One that stands out very vividly is a time that I had to go get my shots as a kid, my vaccines and such. And my mom told me if I didn't cry, I could have a toy from Toys R Us. And I didn't cry. And she made good on her promise. And I got a little ninja action figure that had a karate chop arm when you pressed a button on their back or something. And there are other memories like that. Today, there's intermittent contact, there's general friendliness, but I know that the relationship I have with my mother is a strange one to most people with mothers in their lives. It's not ideal, I understand that, but it does seem to be comfortable 
and normal to us relatively at this point. So the only other time in my life other than presently that I've held a grudge resulted in decades of hurt and anger and was only resolved really by the passing of time and slow acceptance of how things weren't going to be how I wanted them to be and that the past couldn't be changed. Maybe that's not forgiveness so much as it is acceptance, but maybe the two are more related than most of us think. After all, accepting a person for who and what they are must do something to alleviate anger and frustration since it makes no good sense to be mad at, for example, a tiger for having stripes, or a turtle for being slow, or a human being for being less than perfect. I don't think my experience puts me in a position to lend a lot of great advice on this topic of forgiveness, because just wait 20 years seems far from practical advice. But let's see what I can do. As far as what might be stoic, we know, as stoics, the behaviors and choices of others are not something we have the ability to choose. I couldn't, for example, choose for my mother to take me on our mother-son day. That wasn't within my power. I could only choose how to feel about it, or, more rightly, what to do with the feelings I naturally felt as a young kid when they followed me into adulthood. And that last bit, when they followed me into adulthood, is important to take into consideration. The Stoics identified a time in our maturity journey, let's call it, when philosophy was something we could finally be introduced to. They said 14, 15, 16, it very likely varied. But no 10-year-old is going to approach their mom not being present stoically. And the Stoics wouldn't have expected that either. The ancient Stoics wouldn't have expected it. And that's okay. We're not grown people when we're children. We don't have the same rational faculties available to us then that we have later. And this probably has something to do with why childhood trauma sticks around for so long. Unfortunate things happen to us before we're mentally prepared for them to happen. And it can be hard for us as a result to undo the damage those things cause, even though if those same things were to happen later in life, they wouldn't affect us in the same way because we're differently enabled to protect ourselves from them with our now mature rational faculties. As an example, if my mom today said she was going to swing by for lunch and never showed, that wouldn't hurt me like it would have hurt me when I was a child. And that's because as a child, we're something like dogs. Stick with me. If you step on a dog's tail, the dog doesn't have the ability to understand you've done that by accident. To a dog, everything is intentional. To kids, too, it is probably not that dissimilar. Mom not coming through when I was a child felt like something cruel. Mom not showing up for lunch when she said she would, now that I'm 40, feels far less like something cruel because I, as an adult human being, understand that plans change and things happen. People forget stuff. They lose track of time. They run out of gas. They fall asleep when they lay down for just a minute to rest their eyes. That sort of thing. We adults have lived experiences which protect us from feeling every plan gone awry is a malicious attack on our value as individuals. So part of forgiveness must be the quick as possible recognition that any wrong done to us has been done by an imperfect human who has identified their choices as being the correct choices. Remember, people don't choose things they believe are wrong. 
they choose things they believe are right or appropriate. It could be the case, although I don't know this, that my mother was suffering from high anxiety or depression during the divorce. I don't know. But if so, it may have felt to her at the time like the right choice not to show up all those times. So step one to forgiveness, understand A, that we cannot choose how others choose, B, that others choose what they believe to be appropriate, and C, that it makes no good sense to be mad at people who fall short of perfection or expectations because they're not choosing not to be sages. They're imperfect human beings just like we are. That's the mental work. And forgiveness is a mental thing, but is that all there is to do? Do we simply think ourselves into forgiveness? Probably not. It's probably not the case that understanding something is the same as believing something. You understand what I just said is true, but you may not believe it. I understood it about my mom, but I didn't believe it for years after I understood it. It was, in fact, 2019 before I really forgave my mother, before I believed what I had understood for years, before it all clicked. So step two of forgiveness, I think, is internalizing to the point of believing all those things you learned to understand in step one. And that requires time. You might have to wake up every day for a year reminding yourself of your understanding before you really believe it and let your frustrations and anger go. I think there's a third step to forgiveness too, and I'm going to go into it after the break. Stay with me. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform, and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it, and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks, and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which, from personal experience, I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. I might articulate this poorly, but you know how the more experience you have solving a certain kind of problem, the more readily you seem able to address future-like problems in a shorter time frame? As an example, the first time I ever needed to reset a password in my IT career in Active Directory, 
geek talk here, sorry. It took me like an hour to Google search the instructions, then figure out the right login for the server, only to realize that it wasn't the Active Directory server, and then to go and log into the correct server but with the wrong password, and to try enough times to lock the account that I was trying to log in with, and then having to escalate the situation to the next tier of support because I had now locked out my admin account so I couldn't unlock the user's account. All of that probably took an hour. Well, the next time, you can be sure it only took me about three minutes. And then sometime later, I learned how to write a script that would unlock accounts automatically. And it would only take me two seconds to unlock an account after that. My point here is that the more experience we have doing something, the more efficient we can get at that something. Of course, there's an upper limit, but there's plenty of room for growth before we hit it. I got efficient as a systems administrator when my career was in IT by being hugely inefficient at first. The more inefficiencies we overcome, the more likely we are to be up to the task of more and greater challenges that are, let's say, within the same domain of skill as those things we're inefficient at at first. It's like that with forgiveness too, I think. The more we can do it, the more quickly we can do it in the future. So step three of forgiveness has something to do with what happens next, or maybe more specifically, how we change our expectations in the future. I think expectations are what fuel disappointment. And maybe that's obvious, but to be honest with you, it's the first time I've ever said that out loud. And maybe it's the first time you're hearing it said in the way I've just said it. I was upset with my mom because I expected her to show up. I might be devastated by not getting a job I apply for when I expect to get it. I might get angry at my wife when she hasn't done something I expected her to do. And in all those instances, my frustration is linked to what I expected. And not just of outcomes, but of other people. All of those things I listed are, in reality, examples of me believing I can choose how others choose. I expect to get the job, but why? I cannot choose who the hiring manager chooses. I cannot choose how they value the experience I've displayed on my resume. I cannot choose if they even read my resume. I cannot choose if there is a more qualified candidate. I cannot choose if the hiring manager decides to hire their cousin instead as a favor to someone in their family. I cannot choose any of that. And if I cannot choose any of that, then how could I come to expect, expect to get the job? Maybe I expect my wife to have organized the bookshelf at home while I'm out running errands at the store. But if I did, that would mean I believed in some way that my expectations control what my wife chooses or what outside events might prevent my wife from choosing the way she wants to. They don't. They can't. The very idea is crazy talk. So maybe step three is to stop having expectations. But that seems impossible. You probably laughed when I just said that and rolled your eyes. We have to have some level of expectation because we want to have some level of trust with the people we interact with on a regular basis. And what is trust if not a feeling resulting from consistently met expectations? So step three isn't to have no expectations. That doesn't seem possible or practical. Instead, it is to have reasonable expectations. I expect XYZ but I understand that any number of things might keep my expectations from being realized. The imperfection of people, the natural environment, the actions of others, medical emergencies, lapses in judgment, poor memory, distractions, etc. To be honest, it's a miracle any expectation is ever met, ever. 
I mean, why would anything ever go the way you wanted it to? Why would the traffic light be green right when you approach the intersection? Why would the service at the restaurant be good? Why would the package shipped from another country arrive precisely on time? The truth is we are spoiled. Packages usually do arrive on time. Service at the restaurant is usually pretty good. And frequently enough, the light is green when we approach the intersection. Our technology and modernizations have created a world where wild expectations are serviced and met every day. I can get a brand new toaster delivered to my doorstep today by 10 p.m. if I order it on Amazon in the next three hours and 35 minutes. Do you know how insane of an expectation that is? That I can expect an appliance to manifest on my front step if I just sit on my ass for a few hours and spend $20 on the internet? We have been conditioned to have unrealistic expectations because we live in an unrealistic world. Though that is part of a larger problem and for a different discussion, surely. Getting back to forgiveness, though, and to review here are what I think are the three steps of forgiveness or of forgiving. First, understand A, that we cannot choose how others choose, B, that others choose what they believe to be appropriate, and C, that it makes no good sense to be mad at people who fall short of perfection or expectations. They're not choosing not to be sages. They're just imperfect human beings, just like we are. Step two, internalizing to the point of believing all the things we learn to understand in step one. This requires time. We might have to wake up every day for a year reminding ourselves of our understandings before we really believe them and embody them in our behavior. And finally, step three, condition ourselves to have more realistic expectations of people in a world that conditions us to expect the unrealistic. And that's it. Three totally not easy at all steps to becoming an expert at forgiveness. I don't know if any of that is stoic canon. It probably isn't. But it is, at the very least, stoicism inspired and echoed at least partly in Meditations 11.26 when Marcus says, Consider that thou also doest many things wrong, and that thou art a man like others. And even if thou dost abstain from certain faults, still thou hast the disposition to commit them, though either through cowardice, or concern about reputation, or some such mean motive, thou dost abstain from such faults. Food for thought, Prakaptan. Chew carefully. Thanks for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Do me a favor and review this podcast if you've got a few minutes to do so. And if you're enjoying it, you can do that on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Those reviews are really nice to have and I appreciate them. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, take care.